Well, good morning, Miss Day Church. Um, thank you, Paul. Um, Paul's, Paul's prayers of, uh, of getting the Jacobsons to stay out in Chicago have been answered. Uh, with the storm that rolled in uh, last night and through today, we were going to head back today, but we've got to postpone it one more day. So, Paul, your answers to prayer have been, have been heard. This weekend uh, has been something that Sydney and I have looked forward to with, with joy, but also with sadness as, as we kind of corporately join with you guys for one of the last times. I'm sure we'll be out again, um, but this, this has been something we've, we've anticipated to, to share some moments with you guys before we uh, kind of go back full-time to, uh, to Iowa. But Christmas in, in, in my house growing up was something I, I anticipated a lot. Uh, usually, sometimes even as early as September, I would start writing out my Christmas list of all the, the things that, that I wanted. When the magazines would come, I'd, I'd flip through them. Um, I would look forward to spending really quality time with my family, eating good food, um, the anticipation of Christmas Eve, and the excitement of what was going to happen the next day um, were all things that I anticipated about Christmas. And as we, as we talk about Advent and anticipating uh, Jesus' coming, um, we're talking today in Mark 4 about how Jesus came and, and taught about being a servant. But this anticipation of, of the Messiah um, was something that was happening in Israel's time when Jesus uh, was alive and when he taught. And many people in that time uh, thought of this coming king, this coming Messiah, as someone earthly. As, as an earthly king, an earthly Messiah that would be lifted up from uh, Israel and would take them out of, out of bondage, take them out of um, the, the countries that had exercised authority over them. So they saw this Messiah as, as a political leader. So as, as we get into this text, I want to just preview a little bit about what people would have thought this Messiah would have been. So, Donna, if you want to throw up that, that first verse from Isaiah. It's one of those slides in there. Okay, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this is one of the Old Testament texts that talked about this coming king, and it talked about the, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. So there was this political overtone of this, this, uh, of this king that would come in and, and rule. Um, there's one other verse. Uh, next slide. Jeremiah, so one of the prophets as well, 23, 5 through 6 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So the anticipation of this coming king, although there is lots of, of scripture in the Old Testament that talks about who this king will be, many people looked at these types of texts and were anticipating someone to come and to rule on an earthly uh, throne. Jesus himself revealed him, uh, himself to, to many people in that day to be this Messiah. Through the miracles he did, through the power with which he, he taught and spoke, 
and through the authority that he had on earth to, uh, to uh, heal people, specifically to the disciples, these, these 12 that, that followed him. He gave even kind of more insight into his, uh, his work as the Messiah through his miracles. He did things that only they saw, his, his transfiguration when he came and took James and, and Peter and John aside and he showed them. He, he became um, bright, white, almost as a heavenly being. He also walked on water. So they got to see some miracles that nobody else saw that showed the power of God was in him. And also by his teaching. Now, Jesus taught a lot in parables, but to his disciples, specifically about the fact that Jesus was Messiah, he gave them special insight. And uh, he kind of brushed aside that, that speaking in, in parables that he did, and he pulled them aside multiple times and said, this is who I am, and this is what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to be give, handed over to, to your rulers, to the elders and the chief priests. I'm going to die, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. And he did this multiple times to be clear as to what his work was going to be as the Messiah. Yet we see that, that the disciples were, were hard in heart. When Jesus uh, talked the first time about who he was as the Messiah, Peter rebuked him when Jesus said he was going to go die. Um, these disciples also, um, it seemed almost, they were, they were self-centered. Um, as they were following Jesus, um, they were a crowd that was very focused on themselves and what they got out of following after Jesus. So when Jesus would do all these great miracles and kids would come to him, they would rebuke the kids. When they saw others that were casting out demons in Jesus' name, Jesus, uh, they, would, they would go after them and, and try to get them to, to stop doing that because those people weren't in their group. They, were, they had also in the past argued about which of them was the greatest. So even the disciples who had this special insight to who Jesus was as the Messiah, they recognized that he was the Messiah, they didn't quite understand the work that he was going to have to do. And I'm, as I've read this text and as we approach this text, I'm convicted by the fact that um, I would have, just like the disciples and just like many people in that time, uh, would not have understood the context of what it meant that Jesus was the, the Messiah, that he was going to go and that he was going to die on a cross. My expectation probably would have been, as, as this excitement grew about Jesus and all the miracles he did, my expectations would have been for him to fulfill those scriptures that we read and, and become king. So that's kind of the stage as we enter this, um, this text today with the disciples and Jesus, and Jesus talking about who he is as Messiah. So uh, if you would, open with me uh, to Mark 10. We're going to start in verse 35. It's on page 846 in the Bibles, if you've got one on your, your chair. So leading up to the text we're going to focus on today, which is starting in verse 35, Jesus, has, uh, Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. So he's almost finished with his earthly ministry. He's been teaching about the work that he's going to have to do and doing miracles. And he's just got done teaching about how difficult it will be for those that are rich in this world to enter the kingdom of God. And as we see, if we look in verse 32, just before this, it says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. So there was this amazement surrounding Jesus and his disciples and the people that were following him. There was this fear because of what he had just taught about and the difficulty that it was, the difficulty with which they had to, to wrap their minds around his, his teaching. And so Jesus again 
uh, in verse 33, says about what it is that he has come to do, as, the, as the, what he called, referenced uh, himself to as the Son of Man, which is a reference to, to Daniel, um, that he was going to be delivered over to the chief priests. So uh, read along with me, uh, Mark 10:35 uh, through 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want for me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant. As James and John, at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. So as I read this, the first part of this text, where James and John are walking up to Jesus asking them, asking him if, if they can sit on his side, uh, on one on his left, one on his right. I, I get this picture of, of them kind of being fearful. They were, they were following Jesus. We, we see that they're amazed and, and afraid. Can you just see them? James and John arguing, hey, you go tell him. You, you go ask him. No, I, remember what he said last time when we were fighting about, about who was the greatest? He got mad. I don't, I don't want to ask him. I can just see them. In one text, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that their mother, James and John were brothers, their mother goes along with them. These are two grown men. Their mother goes along with them to ask Jesus this request. So there's, there's a fear amongst them, but yet they still want to, want to ask this request um, of Jesus. So verse 35, we see him saying, we see them asking this question of, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Whatever we ask of you. Now, uh, Christmas around my house, one of the things we did was we would go and, uh, and deliver, give our letters to Santa, and we'd sit on his lap, and we'd, we'd tell him what we wanted for Christmas. And I always reserved my biggest, uh, the, the biggest, best gift that I could imagine for that request to Santa, to sit on his lap and to ask him for whatever it was that I thought was going to be the biggest and, and greatest. And it seemed like that's what I always, always got from, from my parents. <laughs> um... So this question is, is a big question. They, the disciples, uh, James and John, uh, want Jesus to do something great. And that uh, is a question I think we have to ask ourselves about what do we ask God for? What do we follow Jesus for? We, uh, when we do prayers of the people on Sundays, when, throughout the week, what are the things that, that you are asking or requesting of, of God, of Jesus? A lot of the things we ask for are, are good. We ask for people to be healed. Uh, we ask for people to, uh, to have lives that are broken be put back together. We 
ask God to provide jobs when we, when we lose them. But what is at the heart of, of those requests? Is it for God to get the glory? Or is it for us to enjoy comfort and safe living? Even when we ask for people to be healed, are we requesting that God's will be done? Or are we wanting that person to be healed so that we can enjoy life with them? Primarily. Over God receiving glory. Which I think, as I, as I look at my prayer life and as we look at our prayer lives, a lot of times those self-centered prayers uh, can be the focus. Uh, these right and left seats that they were asking for from Jesus, uh, the right and left seat were places of honor for any king or any person in authority. So they were wanting to be his vice president and his secretary of state right there beside him. And as we look at this request, remembering that the disciples, they, they were confused at this idea of Jesus dying on a cross. We see him speaking, that, um, speaking about this earlier in Mark, and, and when Jesus told them what he was going to have to do, it said they didn't understand. So this earthly uh, seat of honor to his right and left, they expect Jesus to become this king, this authority, this ruler in Israel, and they want to sit at his right and his left uh, when, he, when he becomes king. So they, they look at those texts, and they see Jesus as this earthly king. Uh, the disciples wanted greatness from being associated with Jesus. Imagine the excitement that was in their lives as they were following Jesus. People were being miraculously healed. People who were blind were given sight. People who had died came to life. There was excitement around Jesus. There was always, it seemed to be, crowds. You read Mark, and Mark is a very active book. Jesus went here, he went there. It, it, it talks about all the stuff Jesus did. And we always see these crowds following Jesus. And more and more people bringing um, people to Jesus to see him, to get healed, and to hear from him. Uh, so there was a lot of excitement, and I, 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 would, I would be uh, feeling the same as the disciples um, did here, wanting to, to just continue to feel that greatness uh, from Jesus. One of the reasons, I, as I look at uh, Peter's rebuke from Jesus, where Jesus says, this is what I'm going to have to come do, and Peter rebukes him, saying, no, you're, you're not going to have to do this, or you shouldn't do this, uh, is that they had given their whole lives to follow after Jesus. If he was going to die, what did that mean for them? What did that mean for this excitement that they had, all this energy that had built up? It would mean they wouldn't have that anymore. So when they look at Jesus dying, a lot of their responses is, what does this mean for me? Um, they wanted that greatness that was associated with Jesus. When I was uh, in, I think, third or fourth grade, um, we, we took some trips I had a, uh, I have a cousin who um, was, was famous growing up, and one of the trips we took was to Disney World with, with her and her family, and I, I was so excited, because Disney World, when you're, you know, third or fourth grade, it's awesome, and they had a parade, they have a parade every day, and she was going to be the Grand Marshal in the parade, and they asked myself and both of my brothers, do you want to ride in the parade with her? Yeah, and so we got in the car, it was a convertible, and we, we were in this parade, and people were waving at us, and we were waving back. They weren't waving at us. They were waving at my cousin. We got to put our hands in cement, and, and we, were, uh, we were escorted uh, through different places. We, I just felt this excitement, and it wasn't based on what I had done. It was based on my cousin, but it was so cool to get to see that. And so as I look at the disciples here, and 
all this excitement that's going on, I can imagine that they got enveloped in it, and they wanted uh, more and more of that. So as, as James and John give this request to Jesus, um, they want to be right beside him in all this excitement as he becomes king. And that's, I think, similar to us today. We want uh, excitement. We want adrenaline. We want notoriety. Uh, they wanted that notoriety that came from Jesus, and they didn't want others to have it as they rebuke children and, and other people that, that are casting out demons in his name. I think of times when we write things up, post things on Facebook, and when somebody replies to something, we want to go back and see, okay, what did they say about me? What did they say about what I wrote? Um, what did they post about my picture? We want um, notoriety for ourselves. So Jesus, his response, he, he responds in the form of a question. Um, he says, <clears throat> you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they respond, we are able. Not quite understanding what Jesus is referring to. So this baptism and this cup that Jesus is about ready to partake in, he is referencing his death. He is referencing taking on the sins of the world, the wrath that God had stored for us. The disciples, probably with regard to baptism, um, thought it was something in regards to John's baptism. Uh, so many people were baptized in Jesus' day for repentance from sin, looking forward to the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus was referencing to, to his baptism and his death. And as we have the picture of baptism today, uh, baptism is about, uh, first and foremost, death and new life. But Jesus is referring to his death. And this cup would have commonly been referenced to as, as, a, as wrath, as suffering. And their response, uh, not really quite understanding what Jesus said, is, yes, we can, we can, we can handle this. We can, we can go through the, the baptism that you're going to go through. And Jesus said, yes, you will. Uh, uh, fast forwarding ahead, we see that, that the disciples were going to die a similar death. That they were going to be martyred for their faith. Um, but they, they, didn't, they didn't quite understand it at that time. They said, yeah, we can do it. And I, I got to imagine that after Jesus' death, during those three days before he rises again, they're thinking back to what Jesus spoke here and said, oh, crap. <laughs> what does this mean for us, really, as they're trying to figure out what, um, what Jesus' teaching uh, meant? And then the others were outraged at this request. So they had caught wind of what James and John had requested. And they were like, how dare you? Um, we want to be great too. They're, they had an argument previously to this along the road. Jesus is walking ahead of, ahead of them. They have an argument, literally, about who among them is the greatest. Sometimes we think about the Pharisees as these people that were pompous, self-righteous. The disciples were right along with them. They wanted greatness from following after Jesus. The Pharisees wanted greatness by being thought of as these men of the law that followed every single thing that was written in the book. So uh, we see the dis all the disciples uh, also wanting to be, to be great. Let's continue. Verse, uh, pick this up in verse 42 and look at Jesus' response to them and, and the disciples' desire to be, to be great. Jesus said, and Jesus, called, uh, or, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, 
and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would, fir- would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus specifically talks about the kingdom of God. And he doesn't deny the fact that there is greatness in the kingdom of God. But that greatness, he says, will not be like what you see in this world. The Gentiles lord it over you. So in the world, specifically, let's say that the, the Roman government who was, uh, had authority over Israel, over the Jewish nation at that time, they used their power, they used their authority, and they uh, used that authority uh, to lord it over uh, those people that were under, underneath them. So they, they put pressure on the Jewish people. Um, they put a lot of rules in place that were uh, difficult to follow. But we see that Jesus is talking about this greatness in the world, this greatness that you see amongst the Gentiles is based on power, it's based on authority, it's based on rank. And then he says, but among you it's going to be different. So his request specifically is not to the world, or his teaching is not specifically to the world, his teaching is to the disciples. Um, God's kingdom. And he says, it's going to be different. Power, greatness, in the kingdom of God is going to be based on servanthood. Is going to be based on service. It's not going to be like the world. This, this, this teaching on greatness in the kingdom of God being, serve, being, the, being in those, the hands of those who serve is not a difficult thing to grasp or to associate with or to aspire to. I think we would all agree that service is good and, and um, at Missio Day, you know, we have... Um, three main things that you should hear often of. One is Christ. Um, the gospel is going to be center. Community. As we hear the gospel, we come together in community and cause. We are, I believe, a, a servant-hearted church who um, recognizes that uh, those leaders are going to be those who serve most. But yet, to actually put this into application the way Jesus is talking about it is difficult. Um, have you ever had the, the, the time where you're walking around the house looking for your keys and you look for 10 minutes or so and then you check your pocket and they're, they're right in the back? Has anybody ever had that happen? Yeah? yeah it's, your keys are right in front of you, but it's difficult to grasp. This idea of, of service, of servant-hearted, we, we talk about it a lot. I think we agree with it, but yet it's difficult to actually put it into, into action, put it to use the way Jesus is talking. So we're going we're gonna to kind of dig into that a little bit more. Um, one of the reasons I believe that it's, it's difficult, to, difficult to grasp this is because very similar to the world, how power is associated with those who are in, in high rank um, and greatness is associated with that rank, I think um, that desire to be great, that selfishness that the, desire, that the disciples had, it can easily find itself in the church. Um, this power, this notoriety, is, uh, is something that uh, is addictive. And it can sometimes blind us uh, from what true, what true service is. Uh, for myself, um, as, you, as you look at me, you may, you may see the, the things that I do, and you may say, 
yeah, Brandon is, is not a confrontational guy. Um, you know, he doesn't quarrel very often. But if you look deeper inside that, there's a sense uh, for me that I want to uh, avoid those conflicts. And in that, see myself as someone that is liked by a lot of people. So this idea of, of being servant-hearted sometimes can be in order to, to be great. So if, if your desire uh, to serve is with the purpose of becoming great, that in and of itself is idol worship. So the, the end of, of being a servant-hearted person is not to become great. But I think um, it's easy for some, sometimes for that to happen, even in the church, where um, most of you have, have had opportunities to serve. Um, what is the end goal of that service? Is it to be looked at as somebody that is, you know, gets an A-plus gold star for servanthood, or is it to serve for some other purpose, something more than yourself? So if you're serving just to become great, that in and of itself is idol worship. So for the, for the rest of our time this morning, we're going we're gonna to talk about Jesus and, and who he came to serve, which as we look at our, our sermon uh, series, he came to serve the helpless. And then we'll, we'll look briefly at, at how Jesus served. So a couple weeks ago, Paul taught about, uh, in Luke 4, 16 through 20, I want you to turn ahead to Luke 4, 16 through 20. So Jesus said that he had came to, um, to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. And we're going to look at who, who he came to serve. Uh, so Matthew 4, sorry, Luke 4, 16 through 20. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is how Jesus started his ministry, uh, talking about who he was coming to minister to. And as, as Paul taught us a couple weeks ago, this um, these oppressed, these blind, these captive, these poor. It's not about being those things in the world, but it's about our spiritual nature, being uh, that we are poor spiritually, that we are oppressed um, because of our sin before a holy God. So the good news is, is not for those who believe that they are healthy, but for those who know that before a holy God, they, they stand um, as nat- in, in our nature sinful. Um, if you've followed the news at all lately, uh, this last week, uh, there was a woman who died that had, had fought with cancer uh, for a while. She was uh, the wife of a, of a former senator um, and presidential candidate, and she died. She'd had a struggle for quite a few years. She had been in remission a couple times and had, had thought she had gotten through it, but she died. And I, in, in reading the story, uh, she came to the point where she realized that she wasn't going to get better. She came to the point where she realized that 
no treatment that she could go through was going to um, help her overcome the disease that had overcome her body, had overtaken her bones. And so she, um, at that point, decided she was going to spend the rest of her time at home with her family uh, before she, she died. So it is with, with uh, hearing the good news and understanding the gospel is that we recognize uh, that there is no human cure for uh, our nature as sinners. There's nothing we can do. If we try to uh, do things on our own to become good in God's sight, that too is, is worshiping ourselves. If we compare ourselves to ourselves, saying, you know, I'm doing better than I did before. I'm overcoming this. It's been two weeks since I've struggled with lust. It's been a month since I struggled with jealousy or gossip. If we compare ourselves to ourselves, we make ourselves a savior. And we cannot save ourselves. If we compare ourselves to others saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. Then too, we're uh, taking the place of a savior, assuming that we can save ourselves. The point of the gospel is, is that we can't do that. And in our, in our sins, uh, we are helpless. As we look at who Jesus came to save, we also see, um, you don't have to turn it in, Isaiah 49, verses 5 and 6. Um, again, looking at the Old Testament, what it says about this coming Messiah. It had said that um, it was too little that he, uh, that God would send Jesus to be a savior just for Israel. But that this Messiah, this savior, was going to be a light to the Gentiles. So the object of God's salvation was not just Israel, was not just the Jewish nation, but is a, is a global um, God has a global purpose in salvation of not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles, which includes us. So he came to serve those who are helpless in their, in their sin and condemned before a God who is holy. Verse 40, 45, if you turn back to Mark 10, verse 45, this is really the the capstone, if you will, of this verse. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So following his teaching that amongst the people, of it, amongst the people in God's kingdom, that the great will be those who serve, Jesus gives them, here's your motivation. Here's your motivation for this service. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So looking at Jesus, we see God. And this is a mind. This is something I don't, I don't think we can wrap our minds around, that God came to serve. If you look at Jesus' life and the way he served, it's amazing. He followed every rule of the law. If we, as we look at the Old Test, Testament and the Ten Commandments, one of them is uh, to obey your parents. So God, Jesus, became submissive humans, his human parents, uh, to be obedient to the law. He washed people's feet, uh, literally taking the form of a servant, serving other people by washing their feet. We see him feeding people that are hungry, having compassion on, on people. He worked hard as a teacher. He often taught, um, he taught, had long days working hard teaching people. And I often think that this is one of the reasons Jesus was amazed when he gets anointed 
uh, with this expensive perfume. Because many people came to Jesus for things, to be fed, to be healed, earthly things. But when he was anointed, um, they recognized that he had come to die, and they were preparing him for that. So I think that's one of the reasons why he was amazed, because people understood what um, his service was. So uh, he also, when other people were trying to spread his fame, spread the story about what he was doing, several times you'll see in Scripture, and this even now seems a little confusing to me, I'm trying to figure it out, that Jesus quieted others. People were going to tell about who he was, and he said, no, go and fulfill the duties that you should with the priests, but don't go and spread this story about me. Um, when he um, got demons out of people, he quieted them so they wouldn't proclaim who he was as the son. And this is confusing to me because why wouldn't he want people to know about that? Uh, but just the fact of him saying, uh, keeping people from spreading his fame in some cases and the stories of what he does um, amazes me. So before we get too quick to our application, because that's what I often want to do is quickly say, okay, what do I need to do because of this? I think we just need to sit in this, this thought that, uh, that, that God sent his son to serve us. God served us. We often put the terms of salvation into us accepting Jesus as if he needs to be accepted. God does not need our acceptance. We need God's acceptance. Putting it in the terms of us accepting God is again making ourselves the center of the gospel. And the center of the gospel is not us, but God. There's a story um, in a book by David Platt, which I think Paul's talked about, I've mentioned once before. It's called Radical. And David Platt is a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama. And he was... The story goes that he was talking with uh, a Hindu, or a, a Buddhist leader and a, and a Muslim leader. And, and the, the Buddhist and the Muslim were talking about how basically all faiths, all religions are similar, the same. They end at the same point. You know, we may practice things differently, but ultimately it ends in the same place. And after talking for a while, they, they, asked, uh, they asked David, they said, what, what do you think? And he said, well, it seems to me that you think that whatever, wh whatever, whoever is God is at, at the top of a mountain. And we all start at different places, and we find different paths up the mountain, but we ultimately end at the same place. And they were like, yes, you, you get it. But then he followed up with a question and said, let me ask you a question. What if I said that the God at the top of the mountain didn't wait for us to get up to him, but he came down to get us? He said, that would be great. And then he said, let me tell you about Jesus. So the center of the gospel is not about us. It is about what God has done to come and save us. So not only did Jesus do these, um, these physical things like washing people's feet, feeding the hungry to show that he was the Messiah, but ultimately he gave his life as a ransom for us uh, so that we could be made holy before God. So in verse 45, after he says, for even the Son of Man came not to serve, but not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus uh, came to be a slave of all, to give his life as a ransom for us. And we talked about several verses uh, in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus being this Messiah, this King. 
Uh, we also have verses in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus' death that he was going to have to um, undergo on the cross. So there's one more verse that I want you to turn to. It's in Isaiah. So if you turn back to the left, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 1 through verse 6. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every, everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the Old Testament speaks of, of this coming king as, as or this coming Messiah as a king. It turns out Jesus did not come as king just of this world, but also of the world to come. But also that this Messiah would die on a cross. So ultimately for, for us, we have to... I, let me ask you this question. Who, who is it that you think Jesus is? Is he just someone that, um, you know, provides for you? But is he the, the one who gave his life to pay for your sins so that you can stand before God and be righteous? Not in your own works, but because of Jesus. This is the whole reason uh, that Jesus came. And who we say Jesus is is very important. So, what does this look like for you in your personal life? What does this look like for Missio Day? If we adopt this kind of servant-hearted attitude, amazing things will happen. And there's one other slide, Donna, if you could throw it up uh, on the screen from Philippians. This is the Apostle Paul teaching the church about humility and servant servanthood. He said, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." So Paul, who worked hard for the gospel, knows that the point of serving is by first being changed and recognizing how, how God served us by dying on a cross in the form of Jesus. And it's not by our works that we gain uh, notoriety for ourselves, but it's through understanding that that we serve.
So in your personal life, um, in your marriage, in your friendships, what does it look like to count other people as better than yourselves? That will transform your life personally. That will transform your marriage. Missio Dei Church, as a, as a church body, if we uh, consider others better than ourselves, what does it look like for us to serve as a church, not only in the church body, but also outside of it? To people in Roseland. Uh, to people, like, through the uh, um, Camiolas in Nigeria. As we look at uh, the budget that we've set for next year, what does it look like for us as a church to serve others through our finances, considering others better than ourselves? And in light of what Jesus did on the cross, serving him through our gifts. I'll leave you with, with one verse from 1 John it's, uh, chapter 4, 9-10. through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. Let me say that one more time. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So as we celebrate Advent, it is not about us being lovers of God, but it is first and foremost about God loving us and sending his son to die for our sins. This is, is the reason that, uh, as we talk about lighting the candle of joy, this is the reason that we have joy on Christmas, is who Jesus is and who he, what he came to do and who he was. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have poured out your grace um, that you became the propitiation for our sins that we could not be. Father, that you uh, gave us your son. You sent him to be an example for us of a servant and of a loving God who cares for us and who's willing to die for us on a cross so that we can be counted as righteous. And Father, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would work amongst us to rid us of the idol of self that causes us to work for the notoriety that we can gain or our own position, and that we would, because of what you have done in us, that we would desire to count others as greater than ourselves. So we celebrate this morning the gift that you gave us in Jesus. Amen.